Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high performance, innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is moi, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer. And I'm speaking to you from the capital of the United Kingdom, London. And in this episode, we're going to talk about a no-code data science tool startup democratising the data science space, whose aim is to take the weight out of getting answers from data. And the co-founder of said startup is our guest, David Kell. And he's going to share his part in that story. So hello, David. Welcome to CTO Confessions. It's great to have you on board. Thank you very much, TC. It's, it's really great to be involved and thank you for thinking of me. Brilliant. Um, so for the audience, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do and who do you work for? Uh, so my name's David. I'm currently the CTO and co-founder at, at Guiana. So in theory, I don't work for anyone. Of course, I have a lot of investors who probably think I work for them. <laughs> my, my journey. So I started out uh, studying physics, actually, actually physics and philosophy. I did a joint honours, um, so I, I don't necessarily have a tech background, although I was always passionate about technology. I always played a lot of games and I always used to like mess around with my computer and do weird things in PowerPoint and stuff. But I didn't actually make the step into programming until really the end of my degree. Um, I started doing a PhD as well in AI, but then I, I decided kind of a year into that, that that wasn't the direction I wanted to go in. So I took the jump to become an entrepreneur and, and co-founded Guiana few years ago basically now so that's that's, that's my story and, and and right now I'm, I'm at Kiana we well I guess it's probably that your next question talking about what we're doing yeah yeah I mean um yeah that's that's right so the kind of uh, the platform that you create I mean it's quite intriguing you know reading about it and hearing about it as well you're kind of democratizing the ability for companies and people to get at data and use it in an effective way yeah exactly we actually had a lot of experience working with companies in all different sectors. So this is this is the second product we've built, and I briefly mentioned the first one. It was it was a product. Uh, it was called Nera, that enabled businesses to understand human behavior or consumer behavior in the physical world. And we did that by analyzing uh, mobile phone data, basically. And through that experience, we, we were able to answer loads of people's questions. But but we also just discovered so many examples where where people wanted to to get a better understanding of their own data or data that we had. And we saw how frustrated they were. that They couldn't really go, go beyond you know, an Excel spreadsheet, basically. And that kind of was the spark of the idea. I mean, there are lots of tools out there. You know, it's the data analytics space is, is full of tools. Like we've, I'm sure we've all tried lots of things. I mean, Excel is like the probably the, the bottom common denominator, but, but there are lots of others as well. But somehow they all don't really scratch the itch. They're all kind of you need training to use them. They don't fit together in a nice integrated way. And so if you really want to leverage them, you kind of have to have a technical person set up like a, a whole infrastructure. Um, you know, and, and to be honest, at the extreme of that, if you want a really nice modern data infrastructure for all the kind of, I mean, I'm not saying super advanced, but all the basic things you'd like to have, you know, can I have all my data in one place? Can I Can I make sure that everyone can collaborate on it? Can we create reports and have those reports update automatically. You know, those things that I just described there, you would need like to hire like a whole team of engineers to build out a big infrastructure with like, you know, Snowflake and 
various databases and data processing systems and some kind of visualization front end. And our kind of realization is that, you know, based on what's available today and based on the fact, especially that, you know, we're moving to remote work and, uh, you know, we have the ability to, to deploy software to the cloud and manage things for everyone. Why can't we just provide a single all-in-one solution that feels as effortless as, you know, Google Docs or, you know, whatever your favorite SaaS yeah. tool is. Yeah, but, but, but kind of delivers on really make, enabling you as the non-technical user to self-serve everything you want about the data that's in your business or even the you know, data that's outside your business and bringing that all together and answering the real questions that make a difference to, to how you do your job. So, so that is, uh, that's kind of what inspired us to build uh, this product. Yeah, I, I, I love the idea of, um, I mean, there's kind of a, a few areas where I've seen this, this concept of, uh, you know, you don't need to be able to code to be able to do this stuff. You don't need to be an expert on Excel. Because I mean, obviously, Excel is a product that most of us have on our desktops. Um, and there's a lot of functionality in there. And I, even being a techie myself, you know, I, I kind of know how to use this stuff, but nowhere near the power of it. So this is kind of... Uh, making it easy you know i know what i need to solve i know what i kind of i know what i want but i don't know how to kind of go about it kind of thing um so so when you when you i guess when did you have this kind of insight that there was this gap in the market when did that happen so i mean it definitely wasn't a particular time or anything and i, sh I should be clear that it's not like we had this great insight and then we went inside a company like the truth is that um we kind of we knew that we knew that data science was the big thing, and we also really felt in our bones that 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 making access to data science in a way that it wasn't called no code back then. It was I don't know. We just used the word intuitive, but somehow that there wasn't this kind of disconnect between the question that you wanted to ask and how you had to translate that into a, into a way that computers would understand. I mean, it's, I think one thing that I'm quite positive about my background is is that I I didn't program from a young age, so for me like. A lot of the things that a lot of, I guess, people who've been programming for a long time take, take for granted were really not obvious to me. So I still remember what it feels like to find things that now, you know, a programmer thinks, you know, that's trivial. How can you not do that? I like, I remember how that was a big shock to me. Uh, and it's something really, uh, I, I can't think of an example, like I didn't really get how web pages worked. You know, I didn't really, the first time someone showed me that you could actually edit a web page by opening the thing on the side and changing text. You know, I went to the BBC News web page and I changed the headline to like, you know, David is cool or something. <laughs> and, I, and I showed it to I showed it to someone and they were like, "Wow, how did you do that?" <laughs> you know, but like a front end developer, they'd be like, "Are you crazy?" Like, of course that's how it works. You know, you could do that. But but for me, that was totally cool. So so I was really so 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 for me is so even though I had a tech background, I was really really game with the idea that that making it accessible to non-technical people would be a big deal. But I think exactly how we made that happen into reality that that was a big journey of discovery. You know that 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 took time and that took speaking to customers and that also took making a lot of mistakes. You know a lot of like frankly quite painful mistakes and then having to pay for those mistakes because you can't you know you can't um, you know somehow you have to make the the bills add up so you can keep the company going. Yes. Um, so, so unfortunately, the answer is a lot of a lot of hard work, a lot of listening to people, and there weren't any shortcuts. Yeah, yes. I mean, kudos to you because you know you're taking an idea and then trying to kind of bring it out into the kind of big big wide world. You know, give, give birth to this kind of uh, this idea and and make a business out of it. I can imagine it's um, quite uh, difficult, and also, um, I, I guess 
reflecting on it you know you you're actually making it easier for people you know so if you can make it kind of super easy people will will you know quite naturally gravitate towards it oh well, i can use that and just kind of get on with it hit the ground running so to speak um so in terms of uh you know your kind of transition from being uh the kind of physicist uh you did you did a bit of physics and then kind of getting into that i mean you kind of described that you had to kind of start learning to be a techie you know you wasn't a, a natural techie but um that must be quite challenging uh like a real kind of learning curve on many fronts Yes, yeah, it was it was definitely a big learning curve, and I basically I transitioned directly from being a research scientist um, to being a CTO. So, uh, wow. so I was having to learn. I mean, I'm not sure I, I actually recommend that. I, mean, I shouldn't say that because I did it. So, who am I not recommend <laughs> it? Uh, I've had people tell me this before. They did something that they don't recommend it. And okay, but I did it. So clearly, it was you know it wasn't it wasn't absolutely terrible, but it was but it was very difficult because um, you know as as a leader as a, as a CTO, you're supposed to be at least for me, I think it's important as a leader that you kind of people look up to you as someone who knows things. And you know, I don't want to know more than everything, everyone, but I should have like a base of knowledge. And I was building up my knowledge in the background. So that was that was challenging. And I think, you know, retrospectively, I think being more transparent about that would have been better. And I think even today is something I try and do more. You'll be transparent about what you know and let other people tell you when you don't. But but that was challenging. The thing I would say is uh, for those who are from a scientific background, I've, I've never felt that I, that I had to do any that I had to learn anything about data science or AI. Like I felt that, that that my physics course was basically so kind of perfect for that discipline that it just it's just very it's it's just felt it's just almost so obvious, you know, like like a like a data science report. I've just been writing for data science report today for a piece of work we've been doing um kind of on the side a report that's been released in a month's time and and it just feels so similar to you know my physics fourth year reports obviously the language was you know a bit different a bit more technical and i have to think about simplifying things there's things i learned there but like the fundamentals of statistics data analysis linear algebra all of that like totally transitioned so if you are from a you know especially physics but generally a scientific background that's you're in a very good place there but the tech yeah. side yeah just had to had to pick that up from scratch um right from learning frameworks to learning i guess more high level stuff like you know agile and how agile actually works yes, yes that's and, right uh, the biggest thing i wish someone had taught me is uh is just to take everything around me with a grain of salt because you know i didn't know anything about databases so i would go to all these website and read what people had to say about databases and of course you know these database people they're always saying amazing you know they basically say their database can do everything so i would read all this stuff and it would be very confusing so i think that was that was probably the biggest thing that i would share that 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 you need to be careful where you get your source of information from when you're learning this stuff from scratch. Otherwise, you can really be led on a real yes. goose chase of non, like a rabbit hole. You go down rabbit holes, you know, kind of thing. You can keep keep going down. How deep does this go, kind of thing, you know? Yeah, and I think I think I think you kind of assume that that the best technologies will be the ones people are talking most about. But you know, I think as you as you probably realize as well, now the things people talk about are the things that they're being marketed most heavily, and those tend to be slightly ahead of. You know what i would actually recommend as decent technology choices so so i think there's, there's kind of this interesting thing that you kind of have to be in the know you know if if you just if you just kind of follow what's out there and i've seen this phenomenon i've kind of been um speaking to other ctos a bit earlier on earlier on in their career and they are all like completely on serverless you know and i see them struggling with all these really challenging problems because so you know in many ways serverless is just not quite ready yet for certain kinds of use cases and i see how 
how much more easily it would be solved if they just just do a simple kind of you know Django or Ruby on Rails application. But yeah. but nobody is saying that that's the thing to do. Everyone is saying serverless is the thing, and they're just reading that. So they're just going. Do you see what I mean? Like so that was that I had a frustrating version of that experience and. Uh, yeah, I, I guess there's kind of these attractive kind of new technologies always coming up and you've got to balance between, you know, what is it we really need, just need to get it working and what is the thing that we need to use to kind of keep up to date, you know? Um, but I guess that that's always there. Techies are uh, naturally inquisitive creatures um, and, and especially being a tech leader, you're going to be in that space. You've got kind of, I guess, asking yourself, you know, uh, what, wh which way should you go? So in terms of making those choices and saying, well, actually, this is good enough. I mean, is that something that you find hard or do you kind of have a process that you then help make you make the choice? Yeah, that that is like, to me, the million dollar question. Yeah. And I always beat myself up about it when I make the wrong decision. <sighs> so much I could say. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so, so first thing I'd say is, uh, it's, you really have to understand that your, your context, like, like things that make sense in one context just don't make sense in another context. So like if someone tells you that, you know, you should definitely use serverless, like that statement is just completely meaningless because it depends what context you're in. If I was throwing together a quick website for someone, I just had to serve a bunch of static assets. I would absolutely use serverless. It saves me so much time. If I have a complex applicant, backend application with lots of state in, and I need to carefully manage the memory and CPU usage, which is a real use case we have in, Guiana, I absolutely won't use serverless, or I wouldn't use, you know, I'd use Kubernetes or something like that. That's the right choice there. Yeah. Um, so I think, so you have to understand kind of you know, the, what, what you might call the landscape or the context you're actually working in. Um, another good example is like agile um, or, you know, different kinds of processes and, and what you adopt. Sometimes, sometimes it makes sense to give people more space to kind of explore and be less dogmatic about bi-weekly sprints when you're early on in a, in a product project where you want that to happen but sometimes you need to tell people to focus and deliver um, and again it depends on the context of whether you're kind of in the genesis phase of a new project or whether you you kind of have settled the key decisions on the technology and now you're just in delivery phase um, so yeah so it's about understand, understanding the landscape and then really understanding the, the possible technologies and their strengths and weaknesses and then at some point you have to you have to go for something and be willing to then say that you made a mistake and to step back because there's also another problem i have is like analysis paralysis you know i i just spend so much time thinking about pros and cons like the, the, the truth is that it doesn't matter how many blogs and articles you read until you actually get your hands on the technology maybe do a little PAS, poc you won't you won't really know if it's the right decision get on with it basically and uh, and see see what see how it goes you know and very agile kind of you know let's see what happens let's, let's fire this off and uh, see what happens so um so coming back to your kind of product uh, in terms of you know obviously it's in the data world and uh, i find i'm quite curious because you know you're not a, a data a scientist or data analyst um, but you understand the problem that you're solving for your end customer they're the experts on the data that's what they do um i mean is that it's obviously worked, you know, because you're, you're doing very well. And I've kind of re read up on some of the uh, successes of your products and you've got some big clients on your um, um, on your kind of platforms. So not not knowing what the uh, data analysts want and, and need, how have you kind of got the use cases for the platform worked out? Yeah, that's 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 really interesting. It, it actually highlights 
one of the the more challenging aspects of building a product like this because because data analysis although there are definitely like repeatable use cases you know it's, it's quite common for example that someone wants to extract sentiment information for their reviews yeah as a company we've we've specifically moved we've not gone in the direction of saying we're analytics for marketing or analytics for sales like we've specifically gone for we are a no-code data analytics tool uh, and you're absolutely right that that the possible uses are kind of you know there's so many different ways you can use something like that and the challenge is you know, how do you actually target the right people so there's a kind of interest, there's a there's a definitely commercial question in there that we're we're always wrestling with and i guess there's a and there's also a product design question there as well i mean this is also true of a, of a lot of data analytics tools you know uh, i mean excel for example i mean i guess excel's most popular use case is financial modeling and you know that's what it was the guy originally designed it was actually an MBA and he he designed it as a magic blackboard so he could use it in his finance classes. So so that was the original use case. But like, you know, every, I mean, you it, basically Excel runs half the economy now and it and it's designed, you use it for like basically running your bakery or like doing a product management. You can basically use it for anything. So so that's that's kind of our vision for 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 Guiana for our product. I, I think it, it's kind of interesting as well that the I kind of have this saying in, in Guyana that no, nobody likes to do data science. Um, and I don't mean it to be a negative thing. I just mean it to be that the, the people aren't doing data science because they enjoy doing data science in the way that, for example, you play a video game because you actually enjoy playing video games, you know? Yeah. You do data science to answer a question and everyone always has like a slightly different question. And it's like, you know, the number of questions under the sun is like, you know, there are billions of questions that people could be answering. Yeah. So, so we have to have a dialogue with the user yeah, we have to design the tool in a way that empowers them to answer their own question. That's the challenging thing, like empowering people to answer their own question. Because uh, what you've described, the platform and, and looking at the uh, uh, the material for Guyana uh, is um, it, it's it's a, a kind of self help. You know, you you there's the tools. You know, um, you go, go for it. And we've got some stuff to help you kind of uh, uh, kind of work this out uh, and, and get it working. So so in terms of um, there was an interesting thing that. You spoke around off off uh, off the podcast, which is around you know the quality of the data, and you made an interesting um, statement around the Maslow's hierarchy of needs for data. I thought that was really interesting. Um, is that something that your platform kind of helps out? In fact, what is it, and does your platform kind of help help out on that uh, hierarchy of needs? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it does. <laughs> yeah, of course, I would say that. Um, so, so firstly, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I guess, first is, is this idea that, you know, as, as people, there are different levels of needs that we have. And if, if I don't, for example, have a warm place to live, I'm not really going to worry about whether or not I feel self-actualized. Um, and the same thing, there's a nice kind of parallel to this in data science. And, and the idea is that um, there are kind of different levels of basic stuff that you need to have solved in your organization for, for, for for you to be able to do more complex data science stuff. So for example, if you wanted to design some kind of AI function that uses your data, if your data has lots of mistakes in it, basically, then your AI will be, your, your algorithms that you're using for AI will just be learning rubbish and, and you will get rubbish out. So you kind of have to build up layer by layer. You have to, you have to nail the fundamentals first. Which is an interesting challenge for us because because AI and data science is the kind of sexy, cool thing, and of course we could have you know built a tool that focuses primarily on doing that. But but we know, you know, most of us in reality know that like most businesses, and I don't mean to be a negative thing. I think it's just it's really hard to do well. Like most of us just have 
a really bad situation further down the kind of pyramid of needs. Like, um, it's very common that most of the company's important data is in Excel sheets on diff different people's computers, or maybe maybe in Google Drive, you know, or, or, or OneDrive if it's a bit more modern. Um, it, it's very common that that our ability to move that around, our ability to check whether or not it's got mistakes in is kind of quite limited and also it's restricted to individuals. So, um, so, so, so in, in many ways our tool is designed to tackle that and actually I, I used to have it on my wall next to me when we were kind of designing the, the fundamentals of the tool to keep reminding myself, you know, does, does our tool kind of solve this? And the way I think about it is the lowest level of Maslow's hierarchy is kind of the engineering stuff. So, you know, if you don't have a database that can store a large amount of data, then you can't do anything with a large amount of data. So, so those kind of that stuff needs to be done, and that you get for free with our tool. Like we've done all that for you. We've built like we've we've kind of taken the best, uh, you know, best open source stuff and put it together in a way where it where it works really well and it's really fast as well. That's really important, and it's really scalable. So you can shove in like a billion rows of your data, and you can get answers in hopefully you know less less than a few seconds. So you can really. You never have to wait. One of my biggest frustrations of data science is having to wait because you know, the process of data science is basically asking a question and then waiting to get an answer. And the longer that wait is, the fewer questions you can ask a day and the less data science you can do. So we really wanted to remove that. So the lowest levels getting the engineering right, you get that for free. And then we give you the best tools that we can give you to get the levels above free. So you have a single place in the tool where all of your data goes. So now it's really hard for you to have duplicate copies of data and you also have the ability to very clearly see is this data clean to get summary statistics off it so you can see like um are there are there outliers in this data set was it updated in the last week you can see that all in one place and you can search and you can all, all the stuff you would just expect to, to exist exists um and then at that point you're already like at the top two levels of the hierarchy which is like actually doing analytics um doing maybe regression data science and and doing some you know, AI, AI, auto ML, and that's the stuff that we've got some basic stuff there. But like I said, you know, we, we're doing the foundational stuff first, but but we are going to add stuff there. We, we want, I want, you know, my mission here is, or our mission is that Joe Bloggs can do an auto ML model and make and predict his sales from his or his churn from his customer data and, and you and feel like that's not a very technical thing to do and actually integrate that into his daily process but he'll only be able to do that when he's confident that that data is clean and that he you know, yeah and that's all kind of set up to do it sorry long speech there no no that's really good actually because that that kind of uh shines a light on to because what you find is people do tend to especially tech leaders and, and and maybe even the customers want all the kind of shiny bells and whistles but actually what they really need is you know this really basic stuff you know because otherwise uh, you can spend a lot of time uh, I, i've worked on kind of briefly on some data projects myself and that uh, etiquette and and clean data at the bottom if you build on that yeah. it's not right basically you're building i mean it's just pointless it's just uh, you're putting rubbish in you're getting rubbish out um so that's good that's great so the kind of tool helps you do that and it kind of takes away some of the kind of technical understanding around where you saw the data how it's stored etc cetera, etc cetera. um and and in terms of finding the use cases what you described there is is that you're kind of working with your end clients to actually realize what is it they want you know what's um, I mean, do you have a, a kind of, um, as a tech leader, having to decide what features you are going to develop, like the kind of Pareto's um, ratio, you know, the 80 uh, people use 20% of the kind of functionality of 80% of the time. Is, is that something that you look to do? 
yeah i mean that, that that's obviously the ideal thing to <laughs> I, yes. I don't i don't really like building stuff that nobody's going to use yeah that's so 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 that's what that's what we try and do i th i think at least in my experience with with both the products that we've built there's there's kind of there's there's two phases or there's like a clear transition point um between you might say pre and post product market fit or maybe it's something else i'm not sure what the transition is yeah uh, but before that point in time you just don't have that many customers and so it has to be driven a little bit by what you think makes sense to you uh, and also you're kind of making foundational decisions that you know will that will have like long-term ramifications and and you also want to I don't know. You guess. I guess you have a fundamental vision of how you want it to be, but but still, definitely, we're, we're we're trying to build it in a way where we're building the minimal kind of cohesive whole thing that showcases what it can be. And then once we start to get real customer traction, of course, we want to feed that customer feedback in yeah. um, as best we can. Uh, it's really it's really important to do that. It's really important to speak to customers um, to potential customers. And I guess then the challenging thing is balancing that with what you know needs to happen. So like. I kind of have a rough idea of what I, I kind of know everything like that needs to be built, not in detail, but like, I know that there needs to be kind of a data preparation piece here. Um, but I, but I, but I certainly don't know the right order to build it in. And I certainly don't. And often as well, the design kind of escapes me. And that's the thing you have to learn from customers. Um, and that's, that can be really hard because sometimes, you know, that customer really wants X and you could build X, but you know, that building X, Logically, you know, technically, logically, to build X, you really need Y because Y kind of provides like a foundational abstraction that makes building X much easier. Yes, that's and, right. And sometimes you have this kind of you might even end up arguing with your, your co-founder or whatever because I mean, I mean, not my co-founder is amazing; she trusts me completely, which is great. But I mean, of course, sometimes you disagree and you're like, why can't we just build X? You know, why why doesn't sound very important to me? And I'm saying like, well, you know, I know that we're just going to build up so much technical debt, and technical debt builds up. I mean, I'm sure you, you mentioned it before the podcast. I mean, it, it's, it's weeks, it's not months. You know, it, it happens so quickly that that you have to constantly be on alert for it. So that's that's the challenging thing for me, is, is that balance. So so from a data perspective in your product, um, it, uh, you know, we talk about technical debt in terms of development. And, and I mean, I, I, I talk of uh, sometimes with customers around uh, customer, um, uh, you know, uh, project management debt for example you know there's all kinds of debt that can build up so i guess there's data debt as well yeah i mean that, that, that kind of connects as well to the, the hierarchy of needs concept and, and we almost touched on it there if you i mean it is basically the same thing you know it's almost you you could say the reverse and say that a product has a hierarchy of needs you know what if you don't choose the right framework then if you try and build the features yes. on top it won't work so they kind of connect each other the same with data data science if you if you build this kind of complex algorithm on top of a data set that wasn't cleaned properly, at some point it's going to show. Yes. And and the problem is that now you've built all this stuff on top. You have to kind of try and clean up this data without breaking everything that you built on top, and that's it's not a place you want to be. No, that's right. Um, I imagine you can end up in a real kind of uh, a hard uh, dead end. You know, it's like that. We can't go any further. We're basically taking it as far as we can. Um, so, kind of coming on to you know, obviously, you know, you've, you're uh, you're you're an entrepreneurial company. Um, uh, in terms of people and and people kind of developing this, I mean, uh, have, have you got teams that are, are developing this for you? Um, how do you kind of lead and align them in term, into what you think the customer wants? We 
we ha we have an it's completely in-house team i mean we are actually distributed remotely so i don't in-house is kind of a yeah word that's that right <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah uh but but yeah we we have and it is it's we're quite i mean we're still quite a small team i my generally my philosophy is to hire good people yeah um rather than like lots of people and certainly before before we're kind of scaling the tool having a large team will probably just be a hindrance because it just dilutes communication and and kind of customer focus when it comes to managing the team i mean there is definitely there's definitely so much i've learned and i and i kind of almost feel embarrassed the way that i did do it like back like five you know, how many years it was ago yeah. that that we started i started out on this journey i just um there's so there's so much i could say uh, i i think like one one really big watershed moment for me was when we moved on to the second the second the, the product that we're building now after we sold the previous product and i was i was thinking a lot about what had gone well and what had gone badly and i was kind of thinking about if you know we do this next product how would i like us to develop it right from you know interacting with a customer and uh, and prioritizing features and how the developers should be involved and how we make sure we don't accumulate ten technical debt. And I was kind of thinking about this and thinking about this and I was coming up with these principles in my mind. And then I and then I thought, you know, actually that, that sounds a bit like Agile. So then I went and read the Agile Manifesto, something I never think I actually did before. Um, and not just the, the, the four lines, but the 12 points. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wow, you know, these these guys, like they already worked it out basically. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. just, just read the Agile Manifesto, but like really read it and take it seriously, you know. Build build products around self-organizing teams. You know, constantly speak to the customer. Working software is the best measure of progress. Just like, really read that and internalize it. Yes. And that's how to run it. I mean, that's how to do it. That, that you know, they gave us a manual twenty years ago. You just have to to read it. You know, and it's just twelve lines long. Yeah, and speak to them. I mean, this is one of the things. I, I mean, it's great that you've got that. Um, you've got that pers uh, perspective on agile because um, sometimes people focus more on the practices but it's actually the values and the principles that actually speak absolutely, to everything yeah, yeah absolutely know. yeah the pra i think i we tried we did all the kind of scrum stuff and i was just like this doesn't work like you know i don't get i don't get how this ever works i mean in retrospect i realized it was it was one of those context things you know i think that at the beginning of a product there's lots of unknowns so trying to estimate you know the length of each piece of work it's actually really hard to do well and just yeah. becomes like a very frustrating exercise. So, so that, so, so in retrospect, it wasn't that it wasn't that Scrum was wrong; is that it was the wrong context to use it in. Yes. But I think, but yeah, by learning the agile values, it made me, in a way, because embedded in that as well as is, is, is kind of this idea of context as well. I think. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I think just go back to the, you know, take the practices they're useful and within the right context, but the values are really the, yeah, totally the real cornerstone to build on because they're they're kind of universally applicable. To, you know. That's right. They they apply in all areas. You 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 taking the words right out of my mouth. I mean, this is something I, I speak about avidly. You probably if, if you listen to some of my other podcast audience and 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 David, you know, I, I I talk about this stuff all the time, and and it's great to hear somebody who's kind of got it. You know, you got it. You know, so that that's, that's brilliant. I was I was just gonna say like it's that there's a kind of I don't know. I feel like we all kind of go through a similar thing. We all end up with the same battle scars, and you you yes. know, so when you see someone else who understands, you know, like we're having this moment here of like. Yeah, this guy. This guy knows. This guy's. This guy's seen. 
this guy's seen some bad stuff. Like he knows, <laughs> he knows that. Yeah, he knows that this is how you do it. If you don't do it like that, it's not going to work. That's right. It, well, interesting. Um, uh, as a kind of side note, uh, when I first got into the kind of the agile space after being a software engineer for many years, um, um, somebody said to me, "Go away and get your battle scars." You need to go and get some battle scars. You know, you need to you need to learn this the hard way because that's when you really get it. You know, kind of thing. So, so it's uh, I, I can imagine being an entrepreneur and uh, you know with your kind of startup. That was uh, there's a few kind of battles there. You know, um, so that's great. So, uh, so it's kind of come to close to the kind of end of our time. I mean, it's brilliant that you've. Uh, created this product um it sounds like you're doing well you've got some you've got some pretty good uh, clients working on it you um and what you mentioned was is that it's kind of wide spectrum it's really democratizing the use of this you know from big e's to small e's you know do you find dealing with the kind of extremes of that spectrum hard going or is it just kind of out of the box no it's, it's really hard yeah and, and i think um i think it's really important in the beginning of a company to be able to find some kind of focus you know and, and i think otherwise you you can end up in a very bad place. Yeah. So, so yeah, it is really, really difficult. And I think um, for, for a tool like Carter, so many people who could use it, I mean, and we are focusing on specific stock markets. And if, and if we didn't do that, I think we would end up drowning in, in that. And we end up just, you know, going, going a lot of different directions and not really getting anywhere. Yeah, good. So, so get that kind of focus. So coming Absolutely. on to kind of like yourself as the kind of tech leader, you know, you, um, uh, the, the, the human being behind the tech leader role. Um, so what is it that, I mean, uh, other than obviously your company and, and, the, and the setting up this platform, you're obviously very passionate about that and solving a real problem out in the market. I mean, what, what else, what, what else do you do? What, what, what kind of rocks your boat? <laughs> it's difficult to remember because I, mean, I live, in, <laughs> live in London and basically the only thing you could do is sit inside. Yes, uh, <laughs> uh, but no. I, I mean, so I, I definitely do do work a lot as a as a, as an entrepreneur. It just kind of comes with the territory. Um, but otherwise, I I mean, I love the outdoors. I grew up in actually I grew up in rural Wales, like pretty oh, much as cool. far from civilization as you can get in the UK. Maybe parts of Scotland that would beat that actually. Yeah. So so that's and I always like the opportunity to go and do that hill walking or mountaineering stuff like that. Um, I enjoy playing some sports like football and I wouldn't call myself sporty but I, I, <laughs> yeah. I need to exercise so I kind of keep that up <laughs> yeah that's, that's great so um yeah I mean it's always good to kind of see the other side of tech leaders sometimes we just see the techie but there, you know there is a human being behind there um most of the Some, time somewhere yeah somewhere <laughs> underneath uh, so um, I've got a question here around, if I was a, a kind of tech genie, okay, I, I can make a wish come true, uh, kind of in the technical field or some something around your product or, or a, pro, uh, a product that you need to help make your life easier, what would that be if I click my finger, I can make it happen? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we were talking about this beforehand. I'm not sure I would have, what I would say, mainly because there's just so, so many things. So many things. <laughs> I tell, I tell you what, actually, the thing that comes to mind, which is kind of a tech thing, I feel like there are so many great uh, engineers out there who I know would love to work on our product, and it's just so hard to, to find them. It would just be amazing. It would just be amazing if they could have like a magic device that we just find, you know, like a recommendation algorithm for, which some, you know, recruitment companies are kind of built, but that's, let's be honest, like very rudimentary. Yeah. Something that would just immediately match me up with like the five best possible engineers to, to build the kind of product that we're building would be absolutely brilliant. I'll see if I can brew that up for you later on. You know? Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> uh, 
So, um, as, and finally, uh, so key takeaway for our tech audience, the men and women out there leading, uh, tech leading, um, what's the kind of key takeaway that you'd like to leave them with? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with the, the context specific thing again, or even though I already brought it up, but I just, I, I still think it's just the, the most, the most important thing that I, that, that I learned in the last five years. And I, I come back to it day after day, you know, ask, ask, basically ask myself the question, like, what, what am I actually trying to achieve? Being very clear on, on what that, what, what exactly that is, and you know, what's the environment that I'm working in, and then, and then basically ma making as much effort as I can to understand the options available to me, because there's, and just really holding on to that, um, and and and, that, and there's just so many dimensions on which that's that's an important thing. I, I, I mentioned a few, but here's here's one more that I that, that I kind of worry about a lot, which is choosing between kind of uh, kind of bleeding edge and maybe like old and boring technology. So uh, you know, when we're all young engineers, we all, we all love you. I mean, maybe maybe we're different, but like I was certainly someone's like, yes, let's use the latest thing that's out there. Let's use the latest and coolest thing. And you know, what happened? You know, the, the documentation was terrible. There were no Stack Overflow answers and everything broke. And then you realize, okay, I'm going to rewrite it now in, you know, Django yeah. or whatever it is <laughs> that we were saying instead. Yes, uh, but then I think like as you, as, you, as you kind of sometimes you can also go in the other direction as well. It probably happens more that rarely where like you, you never want to use any new technologies. But you know there are actually situations where adopting a new technology can really, really make a huge difference in your ability to like to, let's say the, the speed of development or um, the kind of scalability of the technology. You know whatever it is. Um, I mean like a few examples recently. Um, I was quite. I, I, we use GraphQL in our first product, and I was like, "God, that was a nightmare." Let's use API REST APIs again. And then second product, we use REST APIs, and, I, and we were like, "God, this is so verbose." It was so nice when everything just kind of was auto-generated for us, even though I had like, okay, I had a few downsides, but it was great. Yeah. So that was an example. Or like another example is um, some of the serverless offerings that we've started using. Like, I was quite skeptical about serverless because everyone was saying, you know, that it has all these problems, it's so expensive and stuff. But actually, you know, in some cases, it, it really is great. Yeah. So. So, so, that, so I think there are so many different dimensions of your work that are like that. And, and people, there's so many people around you who will try and tell you like, you should do X, you should do Y, like avoid reading those blogs. Like they're mostly just going to be annoying because they'll give you a strong opinion, but, but, but it won't be contextual to what you want to do. So it's just really yeah. pointless. That's great. And, um, and yeah. kind of, and, and reflecting on the word context, because we've obviously used context quite a lot here. And I think that's an important one. It's got me thinking as well. And it, it reminds me of that saying, you know, context is everything. You know, how you say something in the context has an impact. Yes. And I guess, you know, your choices, uh, direction, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm going to take that away as my key takeaway as well uh, from this podcast. So thank you very much, David. Been lovely having you on and good luck with your organization. I, I don't think you need luck. I think you're doing great as it is. So uh, well done. <laughs> I'll take your luck. That's what I that always, <laughs> always appreciate a bit more luck. Brilliant. Yeah. Take care. Thank you. Cheers, TC. Take care. Wasn't that an interesting podcast, right? I love how David and his co-founder have the guts to chase their entrepreneurial spirit. The platform they've created is quite wonderful. Having worked on a data project myself and been thrown into it like I was some kind of expert, I can see how this tool that Guyana has developed would have answered many of my troubles and woes and stresses. So my key takeaways from the podcast were, looking through the lens of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, get the foundational layers right before you try to self-actualise things in the context of data. Sounds obvious, right? 
That's not what I've seen. Secondly, there are challenges to finding the right people out there. This seems to be a common thread running throughout the industry. Remember that there are companies out there that can help you with this and they're not always recruitment companies. You need partners. And thirdly and finally, I'm glad that there are people out there like David making this important and potentially challenging area of business easier. So thank you again, David. Thank you for your time and thank you for sharing your wisdom. And before I go, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter. URLs for this can be found on this page. We're consistently creating material to create, support and nurture a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about our services at IT Labs, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders, favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. That's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a great day or evening wherever you are in the world from all of us at IT Labs. Live long and prosper until we meet again on the next podcast.